Well, good morning. It's a delight to be with you today. As, uh, as the worship team was singing, I kind of wished I had one of my children here in the front row as my, uh, my signal to kind of cut it off today, because uh, I desperately need my children to warn me when I'm getting boring, getting boring or going long here. So today, uh, you're going to see the sermon entitled, The Narrow Road for Our Current Troubles, and uh, it, today is nothing new. And uh, you all can see it there, but in fact, uh, many are listening today that are in need of something very old. Uh, These truly are strange times, and most of us don't have a grid to filter what we're seeing and what we're hearing on the news and in our communities. And what I'm going to be speaking about today really was born out of God's word in my own personal reading of scripture and in my journal. So you're getting a glimpse into that. And the last couple of weeks, I've had quite a few people from our church family going through a lot of things, a lot of challenges. And I figure if God's combining both my personal time in God's word with what God's teaching and working in our church family, I'd like to share some of those things with you. But the truth we're going to be talking about today I have carried believers uh, through the worst of times, Uh, through times of being marginalized, blamed, imprisoned, even persecuted and murdered. And while through the last 2,000 years, governments have raged and risen and fallen, um, these truths have been an anchor for the body of Christ for over 2,000 years. It's been a stabilizer for the church, and it's been a guide and a light. In light of these truths we're going to look at today, I'm going to be very frank and very direct, and I may put my finger on a few issues that we as a church family and we as a culture are talking about and facing, and so I encourage you to really just ask the Lord to soften you up and make you open and available to what his word has to say today. I'm going to be sharing a lot of scripture, so I'm hoping that it will refresh your soul, and we here at Open Door believe in the authority of God's word. We believe God's word is what changes us And it's powerful enough to change us. So you'll see and hear a lot of that today. But to kind of get us started, uh, here are a few, quite a few current messages I keep hearing and even a few personally thinking. So here we are. These are all the thoughts that I'm hearing. I could get sick. You could get me sick. Put on a mask. I could get my loved ones sick. The government is way over the line. I'm losing freedoms. The U.S. is going down. Will I have enough money? Will my job hold out? Open things up. The cure, the quarantine is worse than the virus. What am I going to do with my kids who are struggling with this online school? What if they don't open school up in the fall? I'm protesting in Madison. As a Christian, should I be protesting? Are these the end times? Conspiracy against Trump, against America. Conspiracy against Democrats. Conspiracy against Republicans. I don't want to be duped. I'm too smart for that. How about this? Vaccines conspiracy. What if they force us? What if it's the mark of the beast? All will be well if the courts overturn the governor. Now what? 
Am I stuck emotionally being strung along by court decision and government decision what that I do or don't like? Oh no, the wheels are going to fall off the bus. The quarantine's been lifted. What if this $3 trillion stimulus package goes through? Will the evil proposed in it ruin our country or bankrupt our country? Will it ruin the country for my children and grandchildren? And the pendulum swings from one side to the other. The one side is fear of virus and the outcomes. And on the other side is fear of government and being tricked or being taken advantage of. And the common theme I keep hearing again and again is fear. Meanwhile, the world is bombarding us with our five senses with messages on how to cope with this fear and how to remove that fear. They're giving us messages on how to live a centered life and how to be calm in these circumstances. Here are the common messages I keep hearing. Trust the science. Trust the facts. Trust the data, they say. Trust the professionals. Trust the doctor. Trust your intuition. Trust the media. Don't trust the media. Trust what you see on Facebook or YouTube if it seems right to you, even if you can't verify it. That is slander, by the way. Trust the Constitution. It's been our guide for 250 years. Trust yourself. Take matters into your own hands. You know what's best. Fight for my rights and freedoms. This is tyranny. Never mind the fear. Be kind, be a good citizen, and just put on a mask. Hope is coming. A vaccine. Are you hearing this? Really, are you hearing this? The common theme is fear, and the common solution is trust in everything but the Lord. Now, Sid has, a, has been speaking about this, and he's been sharing this, and so I'm not sharing anything new. But back on March 15th, which was kind of the very beginning of all this, Sid uh, preached a sermon called Faith in Times of Fear. And he recently posted an article on the Facebook page about fear. And uh, I, I want to just make sure that we're understanding as born-again Christians, we should be hearing, trust the Lord. Because we're not hearing it in very many other places. If you have leaned on any of these prevailing solutions that I just mentioned, God is using the coronavirus to expose a false trust. Today, I want to talk about the narrow road. And the first verse that I'm going to show you guys is pretty uh, familiar to a lot of born-again Christians. And maybe perhaps today, if you're not familiar with the Bible, this may be something new. But this is from the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to show you guys today. It's out of Matthew chapter 7. We'll put it up here. It's very common, and a lot of people are acquainted with it. But I want to read it to you. Because Jesus makes a very bold statement. He says this. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, if you look at that verse, we can all agree that we don't want to end in destruction. 
in this thing called life, we want to end with life on this earth and the next. But Jesus gives one command here. If you just look at that verse, he gives one command in this text. Enter the narrow gate. So what's he talking about here? What is this narrow gate that Jesus is talking about? First, there is a narrow gate for salvation, the forgiveness of sins. And secondly, there is a narrow gate or a narrow road for the Christian life once one trusts in Christ for salvation. Now, I'm not sure who's hearing me today, so let me set the table for our time together, and I'm going to explain a few things concerning the narrow gate for for salvation for the forgiveness of sins. In case we believe that part of of the human, core human need is to know and understand God's forgiveness. So we believe God could be using things like the coronavirus to get you to start thinking about a right relationship with God. So contrary to prevailing messages in our world, there is only one gate to having your sins forgiven, to getting to heaven, to having a relationship with God. And most of the time, the world says as long as you're sincere, that's what really matters. But Jesus didn't think so. In John 14, 6, Jesus claimed to be the only way and not one of many ways to the Father. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in John 10, 9, he said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So Jesus had no confusion about many ways. He believed there was one way. And the worldwide broad gate that we see frequently today is works or any other trust. Secondly, we have a sin problem that keeps us from heaven and our relationship with God. Romans 3 captures this. We all have sinned and we all fall short of God's glory. We've all violated God's holiness. There's none of us who is righteous. Well, God has a solution for our sin problem because he says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the best news ever, friends. You don't clean up your life and then God accepts you. God accepts you based upon the, his love displayed through the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's only one way to receive this gift, and Jesus says you have to be born again. Now, that may seem foreign to you, and many in old days actually asked that question, how can you be born again? Jesus told a religious leader of his day that you must be born again, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So God actually intends for us to be born again, but we must believe that Jesus Christ died and he rose again. And that it's faith or trust in Jesus, the Messiah, that causes us to enter through the narrow gate. So here's a question for you, just kind of setting the stage here. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God's son? And that believing he's God's son, do you believe he died and he rose again for your sins? If so, you have entered the narrow gate the only way to eternal life. And the Bible says your name has been written in the book of life. So, with that said, with that in place, if your faith is in Christ, what we're going to talk about today is that once you've entered that gate and your name is written in the book of life, what is God's plan for us 
as we go through life's troubles? What is God's plan for us as we encounter these difficult, really challenging times? What is the narrow road? And how are we as born-again Christians to live out our days, especially in hard times? We're waiting for his return. How are we supposed to live? Are we stuck in fear? Can I really know the truth with all the lies kind of swirling around us? Is there anything that anchors me during this time? So today, we're going to talk about this narrow road. It's the road that many of us as Christians are struggling to stay on, but know that God is calling us to stay on it because we know through that narrow road, we experience his peace and the joy through difficult times. So are you ready for it? This Christian life is a narrow road. We don't lose our salvation if we get off the narrow road, but we lose a lot of joy in the process. Jesus said this, before I give you our first point, Jesus said this, I've told you these things in John 16, I've told you these things that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus intended for us on this narrow road to find joy and peace, and it can be had despite difficult circumstances. So the first thing I want to talk about is the narrow road for our current trouble. And the narrow road is this, faith in the Lord. I want to encourage you guys to all turn to Psalm 37. We're going to be looking at Psalm 37, understanding what faith is, or what are we to do in the middle of trouble. But as a believer in Christ, the narrow road is faith in the Lord. Now, Hebrews 11.1 gives us a definition of what faith is to make sure we're all on the same page here. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. In other words, faith is trusting God for what you cannot see. It's quite simple. He goes on to say in verse 6 of Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And he explains that just before he goes on a long list of difficult experiences born-again Christians face throughout the years. Faith in the Lord truly is the only thing that matters when this life is said and done. And as you're getting to Psalm 37, the Apostle Paul said this in Romans 1. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. And then he goes on to say, For the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So in other words, as we talk about this faith, we're not only saved by grace through faith for eternal life, but our relationship with God and the whole of our Christian life is by faith. So I find myself with fear. Before we get to Psalm 39, I find myself with fear. What am I to do with this? So uh, Nathan probably won't know this story because this is kind of my own personal uh, story. When I was seven years old, I actually had the worst nightmare I've ever had. And in the Meeks household, when you are afraid, when you experience fear in the middle of the night and you come running into mom and dad's room, you have no hope of finding any comfort from your father. He's asleep. It doesn't, there's no waking the dead there. But my mom would wake up. And as I began to share my fears with my mom, I remember very clearly, she did not say, your fears aren't valid. As seven years old, I remember the dream today at 39. I remember what my mom said. She didn't say, your fears aren't valid. She began to share with me that you can take your fears to your heavenly father. And when you trust him, 
he can remove those fears. She showed me this verse in Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, O God, whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Friends, 32 years later, I remember that verse as a special place for me that God met me as a little child that I could go to him and I could trust him instead of just just being destroyed in my fear. So as we get to Psalm 37, what does trusting God look like? It's not hope in the right elected official. You must remember that this year. There are things that are going to unfold that you do not like by November. It is not hope in the right elected official or the right court decisions. Faith is not in science as a believer in Christ or supposed data, which are always, is always changing. Faith is not my ability to investigate and not be duped or tricked because I always have limited knowledge. It's not hope in a booming economy or getting things back to normal. It's trusting God for what we cannot see. So as we turn to Psalm 37, we're going to read just verses 1 through 8. And I think this speaks into our current circumstances right now. Let's read it in Psalm 37. It says this, Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. So according to verses 1 and 2, he says, Do not be afraid or do not fret because you look at the horizon and see evildoers. David here is saying we actually have to, when we see evildoers, we have to lift our eyes above the horizon and not fret. And he gives an example of what to do with our fret. But he says this, just remember, no matter how bad things are, remember that human beings are like grass. Now, this is set in a, uh, in a st- time with kings and not elected officials, friends. And most of my listeners today, we have the joy of knowing no matter how bad we have it, we can always vote somebody in the next four years or six years, right? This is with the time of kings. And he says, just remember, even their lifetime, people are like grass. They are here today and they're gone tomorrow. But he says in verses 3 through 8, what we are to do when things seem hopeless, when wickedness seems to prevail. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So instead of uh, fretting, he says trusting. And verse 4, he says, instead of worrying, we are to take delight. Quick question for you. In the last 8 to 12 weeks, how much delighting have you been taking in the Lord? Verse 5, he says, commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. And verse 8, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. 
So he says in verse 5, to commit your ways to the Lord and trust him. And how do you know if you're trusting the Lord? Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I'm terrible at waiting. Our society's terrible at waiting. Eight weeks for most of us is sent like an eternity. As born-again Christians, we're called to delight in the Lord. We're called to delight in him, be still before him, and wait. And while we're waiting, you think God knew that our tendency would be to get angry and say things we shouldn't to our family on social media? He says, refrain from anger while you wait. You know, Peter saw it this way as well. When Peter wrote in First uh, Peter, they were dealing with persecution and hardship from Emperor Nero. And I want to read you a verse out of First Peter 2, verses 13 to 15. Peter says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Friends, you may say, but Peter didn't know what authorities we have. He had Emperor Nero. Do a little Google search. You'll find out what he was dealing with. And then he says, whether to the emperor as supreme authority or to governors. And he says this because he wants you to understand that when it comes to submitting to authority, the invitation is not to actually trust the authority. It's to trust the Lord. And we're to do it for the Lord's sake. Verse 14, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. I believe Peter saw that there's so much more going on than actually what we see when we're being challenged to live by faith. And that first Peter too, that submission to governing authorities is not really about the governing authorities. It's about, can I trust God with the governing authorities? Just this week, as I started uh, hearing some things about the $3 trillion stimulus package, and I started hearing what was in the $3 trillion stimulus package, I was sharing with Anya, and God used her in my life. She doesn't even know this. I just was surprised her today as she hears this. But this is what she said to me, and I was like, Anya, can you hear all the insane things they're recommending and the evil things? This is what she said to me. My God will notice And he will deal with this in his time. It was the faith that I needed from my wife. That God doesn't not notice evil things. The second thing Peter really understood is that while we live out our faith in a good God, God uses us to profoundly impact the world. The end of that 1 Peter 2 passage, it says, For by doing it, you silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. So if you're a believer in Christ and you're really tired of a lot of the ignorant, foolish talk, do you know God's word actually gives you a way to go about doing that? It's called submit to authority and trust the Lord. By doing so, we actually silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. For many of you, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. 
Friends, in this journey of trusting God, his word is the nourishment that we need. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, O Lord, and a light unto my path. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So I'm going to ask you this question. What or whom are you struggling to trust God with on this narrow road? We are saved by grace through faith, but the whole Christian life is one of faith. And I've noticed that crisis leaves us scrambling for safety or the illusion of it. In fact, it leaves us seeking control of what we think we can control. So almost 20 years ago now, uh, Anya and I, when we got married, we left our rural farm community and we moved to urban Chicago. And we found ourselves looking for housing in Chicago. And uh, while there, it it was actually a crime-ridden community. And the manager of the apartment um, was taking us on a tour. And he was a believer in Christ. His name's Bruce. And uh, it, was a, it was an apartment for those who are in ministry or studying for ministry. And so we were looking at this apartment because it was a great deal, but it was in a terrible neighborhood. And I remember asking him some almost 20 years ago, Bruce, is it safe? And this is what he said. You will never be safer than being directly in God's will walking by faith. And we have found this to be true. Isn't our concept of safety really just an illusion other than our faith in the Lord? Has this situation wrapped around the virus deepened your faith in the Lord and his word, or has it just caused stress and worry? Something God's used in my life, a believer in Christ uh, named Jerry Bridges wrote the book Trust in God, and I've actually encouraged quite a few in the church family to consider looking at it and, and reading it. But he takes a, a deeper approach to this concept of trusting God. I want to encourage you to check it out. But we see that God is using the coronavirus to reveal what we're trusting in. What's it revealing about you? You need to get back on that narrow road of living by faith. Trusting God for what you cannot see. I want to encourage you before we go on to the next point. That Christ is knocking at the door. If you're a believer in him, he's knocking at the door inviting you to repent or turn from any object of trust to him and him alone. So how do we know that we're living by faith? As we trust God for what we cannot see, faith is a love-trust relationship with this son. And this is what we're going to see. That as we walk the narrow road, we're going to be walking with the Holy Spirit. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. We'll move pretty quickly through this. Galatians chapter 5. And what I know is this, is when you trust in Christ for salvation, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for you, and the Spirit of God comes to live in your, actually live in your body. The third part of the Trinity comes to live in your body, and he seals and protects and he marks ownership of you. He guarantees our inheritance. And Romans 8.11 says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes to live in our bodies. So what's this relationship like with the Holy Spirit? It's a walking one. It's an exercised one. And as we look at Galatians chapter 5, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper, the advocate, or the guide. So just keep that in mind that the guide is supposed to remind us of the words of Jesus. In Galatians chapter 5, let's read in verse 16. 
So he says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit was contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So verses 16 to 18 talks about walking by the Spirit, making decisions, and you are a walking civil war. You will follow and please the Spirit as a Christian, or you will fulfill the desires of your sinful nature, and there is no middle ground. But how do you know, then, if you're following after the Spirit or the sinful nature? Verses 19 and 21 describe the works of the sinful nature. And if this describes you during this season, you've been following the sinful nature. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. You could essentially say this. If you've been unfaithful to your spouse, if you're looking at pornography, or if you're lusting after somebody that's not your wife or your spouse, sexual immorality. Idolatry and witchcraft. Idolatry, the idea of trusting in money, looking to a hope other than God himself. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the description of following the flesh is fits of rage. Is there fits of rage in the home? Are you reading the news and exploding over what you're seeing that you can't control? Friends, this is walking after the flesh and this is the broad road. This is the way of the world. But verses 22 and 26 capture what it means to actually walk after the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. So there you have it. It says, when you walk after the Spirit, this fruit will grow off the tree of your life. So when you make a decision, you come to a point of asking, which one allows the fruit of the Spirit to grow in my life? We are commanded here to stay in step with the Spirit. And this is how I could summarize it. Don't make any decision that would compromise the fruit of the Spirit growing off the tree of your life. Should I post this on social media? Does it advance the fruit of the Spirit? Should I protest? Does it advance the fruit of the Spirit? Should I wear a mask or not wear a mask? Does it advance the fruit of the Spirit in me and others? How should I be spending my time advancing the fruit of the Spirit? What's the fruit of your recent decisions reveal? If you're a believer in Christ, I want to beg you, to stay in step with the Spirit and turn a cold shoulder to your flesh. It will only kill you and your relationships. And we like to take the Christian life and reduce it down to a list of shoulds or should nots or things we can and cannot do. But the narrow road growing Christian asks this question, Holy Spirit, how can I walk with you that your fruit will grow in my life? And that is what it means to stay in step with the Spirit. And thirdly, and lastly today, we're going to see this today. The narrow road 
for the born-again Christian during these difficult times is prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. Have you been praying a lot lately or just stressed? How about singing a lot or just feeling kind of weird? How about expressing thanks to God often or just complaining? And I would like to say that if you're not praying, you're not singing, and you're not giving thanks, you're not likely walking in the narrow road as a Christian. David in Psalm 57 and 59, while being hunted by the king Saul, he frequently talks about his problems and his crisis, and then he says, but God, I praise and worship you. Shouldn't he be spending his time gathering weapons and pleading his case with the crowds? Instead, he actually took the time to praise God. I think David didn't have an illusion of control. I think he understood that he couldn't control and that to worry would not be worshiping and that worshiping would reveal or remove his worry. So could this be the answer to why God is allowing such a thing like the coronavirus? Is he seeking worshipers? He told the woman at the well in John 4 that he actually is, the father is seeking worshipers. He's worshiping, we're looking for worshipers among us. And instead of worriers, he's seeking worshipers. He's encouraging us to turn our fear into praise. And if we refuse to worship and praise, friends, we choose to voluntarily embrace our fear and we forfeit the peace of God that comes only by worshiping him. As believers in Jesus, our accepted sacrifice for God is praise. That's what Hebrews 13 says. And in case that's not clear enough, I want to give you two more verses. As we, we're going to be closing our time here in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends or goes beyond all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Could it be that prayer and praise is the opposite direction of worry and anxiety? I'm not even sure it's possible to engage in worry while you're worshiping God. And if that passage is not clear enough for you in Ephesians 5, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. So friends, God's will is for us to walk the narrow, uh, the narrow road by walking after the Spirit, by singing songs to Him and giving thanks. Romans 5.8 says that when saints pray, they fill a bowl of incense to the Lord. Isn't that neat? So right now, friends, our church family desperately needs to be growing in our prayer and our praise. And if it's not your natural response, I'm not sure you're prepared for heaven. Because if you read Revelation, it's actually how God describes saints in his presence. In closing, in our last passage, I was reading in Acts 16 this week. Paul and Silas were in Philippi, 
they were preaching the good news of Jesus. And they cast an evil spirit out of a servant girl who was making money for her master. They were angry. They brought the magistrates out. They took Paul and Silas. They stripped them naked. They beat them. And they put them in stocks. And the text says that as they were stripped naked, beaten, and put in stocks at midnight, Paul and Silas began to sing praises to God. Are you kidding me? Wouldn't this be the definition of a bad circumstance? In these circumstances, we'd be tempted to make it about us. But they understood that in hard times, prayer and praise is the narrow road that brings peace, even while naked, beaten, and locked up. Through it, something else was going on. Through it, the jailer who had guard over them came to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and his whole family all put their faith in him. So prayer, praise, and thanksgiving is an act of faith, even if we don't feel like it, even if we don't see what God's doing. So I want to ask you this question, we'll close. When was the last time you praised God when you were struggling? Maybe that's why you continue to struggle in that particular area, because you're not worshiping. So first, the narrow gate for salvation. Maybe you're listening today, and I want to ask about you. If you've not entered the narrow gate of Jesus Christ, I ask, are you trusting in yourself? in good works, in some other God? Or will you trust that Jesus Christ alone is the Savior of the world, that he died and rose again for you? Enter the narrow gate. Be born again. That will get your name written in the book of life, and that will give you hope as you walk this narrow road as a Christian. And if you're on this narrow road as a Christian, do not forget that the first thing we are called to do is live by faith looking to his word and faith. We're also called to walk after the Spirit. Don't do anything that would compromise his fruit. And lastly, prayer, praise, and thanksgiving despite circumstances. We are not victims of circumstance after circumstance. Friends, it's hard to live in fear when we're praising. Do not walk after your former way of fear. But I want to encourage you this. Don't wish for a return to normal. If normal means not dealing with sin and the things that keep us far away from God. Maybe perhaps if God is using the virus, maybe he's using this quarantine or he's using the struggling economy to expose areas, I want to encourage you to take that fear, that false trust and that worry and turn a cold shoulder. I want to encourage you to repent or turn to God in faith with hands up. Because I believe In all of this, our relationship with the Lord is what matters most, right? I want to invite you to close your eyes right there at home. And I want to just share these words with you, and I'm going to close in prayer. It's a a song called, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues. It summarizes everything we talked about today. We sang it earlier. But as you close your eyes, listen to these words. Before a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glory of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. 
my gracious master and my God, please assist me to proclaim, to spread throughout all abroad, the earth abroad, the honors of your name. This is our calling, friends. Jesus, the name that charms my fears. It bids my sorrows cease. It's music in the sinner's ears. Tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. He speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful broken hearts rejoice. The humble poor believe. Glory to God and praise and love be ever, ever given by saints below and saints above, the church and earth and heaven. Lord, that is our prayer. Lord, we know that you're calling us to a love-trust relationship. We know that the only way for that love-trust relationship to start is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so today, we as a church declare our faith in him. Lord, but we need your help. We need the help of your spirit to stay on this narrow path that brings freedom and joy and peace. Lord, we as a body confess the areas and the things that we've trusted in. We've put false trust in everything but you. Lord, no wonder we lack peace when we do not trust you. Lord, as you've taught me this, and as you're working this in me today, I pray for my friends who are listening today, that you would reveal false trusts, help them to lean on you in faith. Lord, that you would help them to walk after your spirit and not compromise the fruit that you're growing in their life. And Lord, maybe some of my friends today who are struggling, having a hard time lifting their voice to you. As we sing now, may their lifting of their voice be an act of praise, an act of faith. Lord, help us to be a church, whether we can meet here soon or not, whatever you're doing, help us to be a church that walks by faith, that walks with your spirit and is marked by our prayer and our praise, the narrow road of the Christian life. We love you, Lord, and um, thank you for preparing us in this time for the day that we will be with you forever, worshiping in your very presence. In Jesus' name we pray.